Head to netsuite.com slash briefing now for their one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, CNN's political director, and welcome to the CNN Political Briefing. The Iowa caucuses kick off this 2024 Republican nomination race on Monday, and things are looking, well, somewhat predictable. So the surprise may be more about the margins than the order that the candidates place in on Monday night. Former President Donald Trump could be headed for a record-breaking victory. Trump's team is keeping a close eye on history. The largest margin of victory in a Republican caucus without an incumbent president running is 12 points. They want to supersede it. He's currently polling upwards of 50%. We'll see if he can maintain that level of support when Iowans head to the caucuses in the potentially sub-zero freezing temperatures. Jeff Kaufman is the chairman of the Republican Party of Iowa, and he is joining me today to talk about this critical kickoff event in the 2024 political calendar. Chairman Kaufman, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your time. Pleasure to be here. So you are entering or wrapping up, I guess, your 10th year as chairman of the Republican Party of Iowa. That's no small feat there, a decade of service. I'm wondering, as we are heading into the biggest moment that you prepare for every four years, and some years are bigger than others, how you think of the meaning of the caucuses to the party and what this moment uh, means. It's, I mean, you're exactly right. Everything leads up to this moment every four years. And uh, this is my third uh, caucus cycle. I had, I had 2016, 2020, and 2024. And certainly this rivals 2024 in terms of its intensity and interest. Look, you know, from the two hats that I wear as party chair, one leading the Iowa party, and then also in generally starting off the entire nomination process, for the Republican Party in the entire country. I mean, th- this is the two perfect storms collide. And everything feels reinforced that I've been saying for the last 10 years in terms of this is a good place to start. Iowa's not supposed to pick the next president. Uh, only 43% of the time does the winner of the Iowa caucus actually become the nominee. But we're supposed to provide a neutral playing field for these candidates to share their message. Um, It's a little chilly outside, but we Iowans are used to that. And I guarantee you, no matter what that temperature is on Monday, it's going to be well worth everybody coming and and either covering it as journalists or uh, participating in it as Iowans. And take our listeners through, so many of them are outside of Iowa, obviously have not participated in caucuses. What is a caucus and how would you describe sort of what will occur on Monday night? Sure. The first basic distinction is the difference between a caucus and a primary, because those are the two major vehicles that both Republicans and Democrats use to end up with their nominee for president. I teach government at the college, and I always tell my students that a caucus is a primary with discussion. It's a primary where there's conversation ahead of time, and you got one last chance for people to make their case. And so when you walk through those doors at at, uh, 7 p.m., or hopefully before, just so uh, we Make sure in all of these precincts, 1,567 of them get started. They'll make sure that you're a a resident of Iowa, a resident of that precinct, a registered Republican, and you can register that evening. 
And then when you walk into the uh, GOP uh, caucus that night, you will sit down and then every candidate has an opportunity, either themselves or through a surrogate, to make their case. And so there will be that discussion that happens. Some of these caucuses may not have anybody speak. A lot of these caucuses will have a couple speak, and some of these caucuses will actually have high-profile surrogates or even a representative for every single candidate. Then, depending on the precinct chair's call, you will either fill out a ballot or write the name on a piece of paper. And here's the beauty of this, David. The votes are counted in that room. Everyone in that room is there and present. They are recorded in that room. And get this, they are called in or the app is used in that room. And for some people, if the caucus is a little bit longer, they can actually see the results that they just participated in actually up on the main website where you're going to look at it and where the rest of the world is. So if I'm a participant in a caucus, I'm an Iowa resident, let's say a registered Republican, I show up. I can actually see my ballot get counted in the room. Absolutely. It is, honest to goodness, one of the most transparent processes, I, I really think, in the country in terms of, 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 the, of making sure everyone sees it. And you, as a journalist that night, when that goes up on, the, uh, on our site, you are actually seeing it in near real time to us getting it. There, there, there just can be no questioning of these results. And you said that the precinct chair can either call in or use an app to report the results to the main party headquarters. You mean call in old school telephone, literally like call in the results to somebody and somebody will write them down. Absolutely. And the app, how do you know that that's secure? Do you guys invest in sort of concerns around cybersecurity issues? Absolutely. And we have actually played out every single scenario we can think in terms of any kind of hacking that would be involved uh, in a situation where the app doesn't work, where somebody gets confused and is unable to uh, make that app work, or maybe they don't feel comfortable. We have a backup to all of that. And of course, the ultimate backup, David, is an Armageddon-like situation. App doesn't work. And the key is this. How we fill out the results is called an, a Schedule E. There is a paper trail Every single Schedule E, 1,567 of them, will be collected as they were written down that night. And actually, we've done it in 48 hours. In 2016, we collected them all, recounted them, essentially audited the results in 48 hours that there was a snowstorm. So we are ready for any kind of situation that might occur. Now, I don't know if you recall this. I know it's before your time as chair, but in 2012, the Republican caucuses, we were live on CNN at the time. It was a very close contest between Rick Santorum and Mitt Romney. And there were some counties, uh, at least one county I'm thinking of, and a woman named Edith, I think was her name. Oh, God bless her, yeah. Edith Pfeffer is joining us. Uh, Edith, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Tell us uh, about this precinct. Is it in Clinton County that is still not reporting the results? No, the results were called in at 7.48 p.m. this evening. How are you guaranteeing that the results will all be reported from every one of those 1,500-plus precincts that night? Very good question. We have had more than 200 face-to-face -face trainings, plus all of these counties already have a temporary chair of that caucus and a temporary reporter for that caucus. All of them have agreed. All of them have been trained. 
that they are to actually send in those results or use the app or call. Either one is good. And they agree to do that before they even move on to other caucus business. However, if something like that happens, we have a phone bank, we have hundreds of volunteers, and we will track them down immediately. I knew Edith real well. God bless her. She never dreamed she was going to be in the national spotlight. But yes, we learned from 2012. The other thing, David, we learned from 2012, if you recall, is that caucus was called too soon. The chair at that time actually made the call. It was razor close and basically it correctly declared Mitt Romney the winner. Here's the thing. You will see the exact same results that I see. So really the call as to who won the caucus or when the call should be made, that's actually made uniformly by every single person that is looking at those results. Not only who wins, but also who gets second, third, et cetera. And Chairman Kaufman, I know your role as party chair requires you to be neutral in this process in terms of not backing a candidate. You serve as sort of an ambassador to all the campaigns and sort of guide them through Iowa and the Iowa process. But does that include Monday night as well? Or are you allowed to go and actually caucus for a candidate once uh, all is said and done? This will be the third caucus I have not participated in. No, I will be in that war room. And I'll be honest, if I were at home, if I was capable, I live in eastern Iowa. If I were at home, I would go and caucus. I would not speak for anyone. I certainly have my favorites and uh, I'm a former legislator, so I'm an opinionated guy. But in this case, I think it is crucial that the Republican Party of Iowa, if we are going to ask to be first in the nation in 2028, we must be neutral. Quite frankly, I think every Republican candidate that was either in uh, this contest or is still in this contest will tell you that the Republican Party of Iowa and myself personally, they feel like they've gotten a fair shake. That's crucial. You need to start in a state where no one is trying to put their foot on the scale. Although I have noticed, I believe it's Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, said he believes if Donald Trump, who I know is leading here, were to lose the caucuses, he believes without question Donald Trump would question the legitimacy of the outcome. It would be very difficult to do that, David. I mean, I honestly cannot think of a single scenario where there's even a shred of doubt in terms of how the people voted, whether it's 150,000 or where we set a new record at 187,000. It is so transparent. And we have those papers in our hand and everybody in there sees it. I feel very secure about that. And I'm just curious, what prompted the paper audit in that first 48 hours back in 2016? We do that automatically. We had a nice spread between Cruz and Trump and then Trump and Marco Rubio. But we go through that as a part of our general process. We're going to have a lot more with Iowa Republican Party Chairman Jeff Kaufman. We're going to dig into what we can expect in these closing days and on Monday itself. Stay with us. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome back. We're here in Iowa talking with the chairman of the Republican Party of Iowa, Jeff Kaufman. Chairman Kaufman, the record-setting turnout was back in 2016. 186,000 Republicans showed up and participated in the caucuses eight years ago. What's your best estimate? Here we are just a few days out of what you think turnout will be this cycle. It's hard to know sometimes what to look for. I would say this, in terms of the, the anecdotal read of the enthusiasm at the crowds that are showing up at these events, at what the candidates are telling us in terms of the work they've done in organization, because this is a contest of organization as much as it is a contest of popularity, I would say the environment is similar. Now, does that mean we are going to break through that 186,000? It was the, the former record in 2012 was 121,000. So we smashed that record in 2016. You know, I, I don't know. It's hard to say. I think it's in the realm of possibility. When we knew that something was going on in 2016, it was actually on caucus day. And I found the best anecdotal metric that we looked at was the amount of calls that were coming into the Republican Party of Iowa headquarters, which is kind of where everything gets funneled. Our phone lines could not handle any more calls. We had people that were first-time caucus goers that were asking us about what the process was like, kind of calming their own nerves. We had people calling in to ask about changing or registering as a Republican. And we knew that morning that something was up. I think I'm going to have a much better read on Monday morning. You know, Iowa is a place where miracles happen all the time. So who knows? Now, you mentioned a couple of things there. I, I just want to zero in on here. One, you said it's as much about organization as it is about popularity or perhaps persuasion. I can add to that as well. But what do you mean by that? What is when you say it's as much about organization? What does that mean? Absolutely. And I'll preface that with saying I don't mean any disrespect to Senator Cruz. But Ted Cruz won in 2016, not necessarily because everybody was in love with him. Ted Cruz won in 2016 quite simply because his organizational infrastructure was absolutely second to none. What do I mean by that? Being able to identify people that are going to the caucus and then hound them until Monday, in some cases by phone calls, in some cases by stopping by the, by the homes and reminding them on that day if you've got enough people out there, making sure that you have someone that can speak at all of those precincts. That is no small task to have someone guaranteed to stand up at the in the Clay County precinct number three, and, and actually they will stand up and give that speech for you. Having literally a small army of volunteers to make sure that the people that have identified they're going to caucus for you actually get there. That's, that's no small task. I've talked to folks that have done this longer than I have been caucus watchers. The four leading candidates right now, they have an organizational infrastructure that is impressive. And I would say two of them, and I'm not going to name names just because I do not want to put my foot on the scale, but I can tell you that two of these campaigns have Ted Cruz-like organizational infrastructure ready on the ground right now. This is going to be a fun analysis after the fact to study these campaigns and what they've done. And if it is two degrees outside, literally, if it is truly a bone-chilling, frigid, even for Iowa night, does that have the potential to depress turnout if people can't, I don't know, start their cars and get to the caucus site? Does that concern you? The temperature does not unless we get to like the 
20 below without uh, without wind chill, where you know you actually start affecting car engines. If on Monday night, if it's five below, if it's 10 below, we're going to have another five or six days like that. And we have over 1,500 precincts. So there's going to be a lot of people that aren't more than five miles away from their caucus site. And even in the counties that have the mega sites, they're within 15 miles. I really think the only weather event that would appreciably affect caucus turnout would be a major ice storm where you literally cannot drive on the highway. Another key component of the electorate for the Republican caucuses are born-again evangelical Christians. They've made up in the past six and ten Iowa Republicans. And I'm wondering where you sort of see throughout this cycle this moment for the evangelical movement inside your party. Do you think it will be as robust? Are they Is that demographic inside the party as influential as it's ever been? Or do you think things have shifted? I think the influence has possibly been overblown in that a few Christian evangelical leaders have been very good at selling their endorsements. And when I say selling, in terms of a public relations game, yes, we have a very, very strong Christian evangelical movement in, in the Republican Party of Iowa. But we have Christian evangelicals that are establishment Republicans. We have Christian evangelicals that are mega. We have Christian evangelicals that are DeSantis and Haley. So it's not quite as simple. I think sometimes when the Christian evangelical spokespeople are more higher profile than maybe the spokespeople for some of our other wings. And they're very, very good at making sure that their issues are forefront. And well, they should. That's part of being first the nation. But I don't, I don't see them shrinking. I don't see them growing. And remember, our Christian evangelical community is not all in line with one particular candidate. And my last question for you, you mentioned because of the nature of the race, all the polling showing Donald Trump with a significant advantage in the current landscape here, that that may depress turnout or now you don't think that'll be the case. I guess just describe what this caucus has been like as we come to the end of this caucus season with the former president as such a dominant frontrunner through all of it, how that shaped this caucus season. You know, not as much as you would expect. What I've seen in this caucus is the major contenders. They are running as if they are all in a dead heat. It's been really heartening to see that regardless of what these polls are saying, everyone is buying for that vote. And I would even argue that Donald Trump, who is seeing these polls as well, is running and he is really sending a message. He's not taking that for granted. So I I am just so impressed that, number one, Iowans are continuing to attend these events in mass numbers, even though I know some of them are attending events for candidates that they're likely not to caucus for. We take that very seriously. And I think all of our candidates understand you cannot take Iowans for granted. And the final thing that I would I would say about this about this particular caucus season is remember there are multiple tickets out of Iowa. This is about momentum, and momentum is about perception. Our candidates are all out there, and they understand that second place matters. Actually, I would go so far as to say one of our candidates that's in single digits, if they end up in double digits, even at 10%, they've got a little momentum boost. Chairman Jeff Kaufman, thank you so much for your time and for your great hospitality during this caucus season here in the Hawkeye State. Greatly appreciate it. David, I enjoyed talking with you. That's it for this week's edition of the CNN Political Briefing. 
And we want to hear from you. Is there a question you'd like answered about this election cycle? Is there a guest you really want to hear from? Give us a call at 301-842-8338 or send us an email at cnnpoliticalbriefing at gmail.com. And you might just be featured on a future episode of the podcast. So don't forget to tell us your name, where you're from, how we can reach you, and if you give us permission to use the recording on the podcast. CNN Political Briefing is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Madeline Thompson. Our senior producer is Haley Thomas. Dan DeZula is our technical director, and Steve Lichtai is executive producer of CNN Audio. Support from Alex Manasseri, Robert Mathers, John Dianora, Lainey Steinhardt, Jameis Andrist, Nicole Pesseru, and Lisa Namoro. And special thanks to Katie Hinman. We'll be back with a new episode on Friday, January 19th. Thanks so much for listening. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com briefing. netsuite.com briefing.